Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Kayla Mason. And my name is Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Tim Kite. And Tim is the CEO of Focus 3, which helps, which focuses on helping organizations align the power of leaders, culture, and behavior to achieve results. And he also has worked closely with one of our favorite coaches, Uh-oh. Urban Meyer, head, Heck yeah. head coach of the, the Ohio State University. Uh-oh. He said the V. Guys, you need to praise Caleb for getting really good at reading those intros. And we He's are so really excited because for a couple of reasons. One, we have a great conversation. With oh, him. my gosh. Oh, my goodness. This might be one of the – this is not a knock on anybody else who we've talked to. This might be one of the best conversations in so 2018. Good. And all, another reason. College football is almost here, uh, and it's time for the yes Ohio State is. to get going. Yes, it is. I feel like we need to have a whistle. Like, we just need to be, you know, with coaching stuff and, and football. No, and, that's a horrible idea. And all, listen, no. I, I just have ideas, and I speak about them. That's all I do. That's what I do. And So, uh, anyway, well, we have a great episode no. for you today. And uh, we're going to be talking with Tim here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, we have our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. That was weird. I haven't done that for a while. Yeah, you should have just let it die. Our resource of the week is a podcast. And Todd, I don't want any grief from you this week. No grief coming about podcasts. This week's episode. Actually, this week's... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay. This week's Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week Uh is... I don't know what it is yet, guys, by the way. I'm on on eggshells right now. The Bill Simmons Podcast. Oh, for the love of God. I I love this podcast. If you like sports, you'll like this pod... You'll really like this podcast. I love Bill Simmons. But one of my favorite things about this is um, just his, his interviews. And he doesn't just stick to... Um, athletes, you know, he was. I'm, mm. I'm really interested in this movie called Eighth Grade. Yeah, right now I'm like obsessed with it. Um, he interviews the director on there. I, I, you know how I do in podcasts. I go way back oh, yeah. into the podcast. Yep. He's talked with, uh, with Key and Peel, and which is crazy. Oh yeah, it just a lot of great recommendations, a lot of great conversations in there. So that is our Learner's Corner recommended resource. Of the week. My fundamental issue with him is that he's a LeBron hater. I have issues with him. I don't think he hates LeBron. I think he hates LeBron. We can't continue with this conversation. We have a podcast to do. Fine. So as we mentioned, we're going to be talking with Tim Kite, CEO of Focus 3. And um, here is our conversation with Tim Kite. Well, Tim, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. You know, just as we get started, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I've heard a lot, especially since uh, I follow the Ohio State Buckeyes a lot, is this equation of E plus R equals O. And, you know, Mm. that stands for event plus response equals outcome. Can you tell us the story of how that equation, you know, came to be and kind of like how how that started in your life and how that's in the impact that that's had on you. Yeah, it's, um, it's obviously a simple and powerful equation and really what it is, it's a framework or a simple system. is the way we like to describe it for intentional decision-making. 
The you, you make thousands of decisions every day, literally thousands. I mean, they've counted them up, and it's roughly in the neighborhood of ten thousand. A lot of those decisions are are subconscious decisions, but nonetheless, every day you are experiencing events. E, you choose to respond a certain way, and your response produces an outcome. Mm-hmm. And it's simply the way life works. And so ERO is a simple system for increasing your awareness and intentionality and skill around how you choose to respond. I, When I was at UCLA back in 1972, I read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Yep. And it, was, it, had, it had a profound impact on my life. And I, I, when I read in his book that he made a statement, he said they could, this is, he was in a concentration camp in, uh, in Nazi Germany, actually Poland at the time. And he, had, he had been a, a psychiatrist practicing in Vienna, Austria, when the Nazis came in and incarcerated so many of the Jewish people, uh, including Dr. Frankel and his family. And Frankel observed the, the prisoners, the, the guards, and everybody, and he said, you know, they could take away my liberty, but they could never take away my freedom. And man's final freedom is the decision he makes on how to respond to any given situation in life. And I was a young college athlete at UCLA, but when I read that book, I thought, wow, the key to effectiveness and success in life is not the situation you're in, it's how you choose to respond to the situation you're in. Now, little did I know that years later, I would adopt E plus R equals O and put it into the consulting and training that I was doing, but that was the genesis of ERO for me, was reading about this historical figure, this man of great courage and insight, and how he how he chose to respond and then recognize that was the key to success. And, and so when I began my consulting career in San Diego some years later, I noticed that the that the one variable, the one factor that determined success or failure of anything in the business or any organization was behavior, was how people chose to behave. And so I began developing consulting and training tools to help companies equip their people for better behavior. And originally, it was called personal best, and I identified 10 life skills. One of those life skills that I noticed was take responsibility and initiative. And then that's when I stumbled across E plus R equals O as an equation, and then I implemented that into the personal best program. And then as we began to teach it, you know what? That's the singular thing. We've got to build an entire training around ERO because that's the core, fundamental, cornerstone skill people need to have. That's a quick. That's a quick uh, a thumbnail. But that that's where that came. From. So Tim, that's great, by the way. But the the next thing that I really wanted to to get into was I've heard you talk about this concept of the, the twenty square feet rule. Can you talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit? Like, what is that? Yep, you guys are asking all the great questions. So, so 20 square feet, frankly, and E plus R equals O go together. Now, what 20 square feet is, is a very, very simple illustration or metaphor of this fact. Every single person in an organization or on a team has 20 square feet of the culture and strategy of their company or their team or their organization. It's a metaphor for a person's sphere of ownership. Literally, it's not a physical space. It's not... Uh, it was just 20 square feet, 20 is arbitrary, but it just simply means your sphere of ownership. Inside your 20 square feet of your organization or your team, 
you have 100% control of what you do. Mm. Outside your 20 square feet, you have influence or impact. And think about this. So in your 20 square feet, how you choose to respond to things produces an outcome that, that goes outside your 20 square feet and affects the people and the, the area around you. The key to organizational or team greatness is when every single person takes 100% ownership of their 20 square feet. Sure. What, what are some things that hold people back from being able to fully take control of their 20 square feet? Well, no question. The first thing is this is something we call BCD, which is blame, complain, defend is when <laughs> rather that. than, yeah, rather than own your 20 square feet and your own attitude and your own behavior, you look around you and you complain about stuff outside your 20 square feet. N nothing will, will hurt team or business uh, organizational performance faster than when people don't take ownership of their 20 square feet and start complaining about complaining about what other people are doing in their 20 square feet. Mm. All change, all greatness begins with each person owning themselves. Now, having said that, real, real quick, yeah, there's stuff outside our 20 square feet that's irritating and frustrating. Absolutely, and yes, there's things outside my 20 square feet that that are that are probably not where they ought to be. But that's why it's seductive to fall into that BCD trap because, yeah, there's stuff out there that, that's not going right, but own yourself first. All change begins with you is the, is the message of 20 square feet. How, how do you make sure that, you know, each person owning their 20 square feet doesn't become, like, siloed? It, it's very self-governing. There's a really interesting thing. When you own your own 20 square feet, part of it is this. Know how what you do affects the people around you. Mm. If you own your 20 square feet, you're thinking, acting, and, and doing things in a collaborative way on purpose. Again, look at the principle of 20 square feet. Events come into my 20 square feet. I choose a response, and then my response goes out of my 20 square feet and affects the people around me. And, and, and what that means then is my R is an E for others. Wow. And if I'm, if I'm practicing 20 square feet discipline, I elevate my awareness of how what I'm doing is affecting people around me. Mm -hmm. Which, which here's an interesting principle, guys. We tend to judge ourselves by our intentions. Mm -hmm. Others judge us by how they actually experience us. Wow. What the self-aware person recognizes is, gosh, sometimes there's a gap. I didn't intend that. Well, I better, I better get off of myself and, and elevate my awareness of how what I'm doing is affecting people around me. And, and so the 20 square feet principle built into it is when you own it, you don't act like you're in a silo because you know you're not in one. And you know that you just you have a piece of it. Football team. One eleventh of my uh, of, of I own my one eleventh, and then know how what I do collaborates and coordinates and aligns with my teammates. Sure. How does a person? How does a person gain that self awareness to be able to understand that? Is it is it coaching? Is it just you having an aha moment? How do you get there? A couple of things. Number one is you have to have an awareness mindset. If you you can't be self aware if you're not looking, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to be self-aware, you have to say, okay, you got to stop, slow down, we call it press pause, and actually self-reflect and say, what's going on inside of me? How am I feeling? What am I thinking? And then, and then real big on this, observe and listen. Just then 
look inside of you about what is your current mood and your your mindset, what's your emotional state, and then look outside of you. All right, what's happening? Look at things through the lens of others, not through the lens of self. Mm. Secondly, get feedback. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. Yeah. <laughs> feedback is information about the gap between what you intended versus the experience you actually delivered. That's what feedback is. And one, I'm going to say that again. Feedback is information about the gap between what you intended and what actually what experience you actually delivered. Wow, that's the power of feedback. That's a great definition. Yeah. I love, wow, I love that. Okay. So what? So let's say that, um, you know, I love how you said that your R is sometimes someone's E. So let's say that, um, let's say that Todd does something to me in his 20 square feet that affects me in my 20 square feet. What advice would you give to me on how to handle that situation? Is it just simply going up to him and telling him, hey, you're affecting me? Or what advice would you give? That's very situational. Okay. Um, that you that that would have to anyway and and candidly that's the kind of consulting training coaching i've been doing for 35 years mm -hmm. is unpacking those situations and that's where e plus r equals o is extremely helpful as a framework and here here are the first three steps that that, that these are the first three r factor disciplines that would help answer that question number one press pause to gain clarity so you're experiencing a situation, and that could be Todd doing something that's affecting you or your, or someone else or a group or you're driving your car, whatever it is, you're, an E is coming to you from someone else. Someone else is creating it, you're experiencing it. Well, number one, don't react on impulse or autopilot. Stop, press pause, gain clarity. Mm -hmm. and, and we say gain clarity on ERO. This is what's cool about the ERO framework. It gives you the three things you have to be clear about in any situation in your life, personal or professional. That's the power of this thing. There are three things you have to be clear about. The O you want, the E you have, and the R that you need. Say that again. The O that you want, what outcome do you want? Be clear about that. So again, back to the scenario, Todd does something that affects you. Well, stop, press pause. Don't do anything yet. Don't say anything yet. Press pause, gain clarity. What O do you want? And then number two, what E, what, what did Todd do? How's it affecting you? How you thinking? How you feeling? What's the E that you're, you're getting from your perspective? And then given the O that you want and given the E that you have, what R factor, what response do you need? People don't have a disciplined system for responding to situations or responding to other people. And when you don't have a simple disciplined system, you will react on impulse or autopilot. We call that default. What ERO allows you to do is be intentional and purposeful about how you respond. So number one, press pause for clarity. Number two, get your mind right. And that is all about getting yourself into an emotional state, getting yourself into a mindset or an attitude that gives you the kind of energy that you need, the emotional energy you need to actually execute the R that you identified in the press pause stage. So I can press pause, gain clarity, decide what to do, and then not do it because I'm mad, afraid, confused, depressed, bad mood. So emotions will hijack your action unless you have a skill set for managing your emotional state. So number one, press pause for clarity. Number two, get your mind right. Get yourself into the right emotional state, energy state to do what you need to do. And then number three is step up. 
and that's take disciplined action. Do what needs to be done. And that's that's those first three steps are the key to responding to any E. So in the scenario that you gave me, Todd does something and affects you, you stop, you press pause and gain clarity about the situation and what you want, what you need to do. You get your mind right in order to get yourself into that mindset attitude to do what you need to do. And then number three, you step up. And then look at the feedback that happens, what happens, what, what did you get the outcome that you wanted? Number four in our factory is adjust and adapt. Is if you didn't get the outcome you wanted, make the adjustments that you need on your R factor and go again. And you keep doing that until things just consistently get better. That's how the system works in any situation. Wow. So is there because because one of one of the struggles that you know that I can I can tend to get sucked into is um is not is honestly you know looking outside of my 20 square feet is there any any advice that or anything that i can do to help just remind me to stay in my 20 square feet well hold on hold on the, the interesting thing about 20 square feet is that the the we're not saying don't look outside your 20 square feet what we're saying is own yourself first then you're going to be skilled to be able to respond to things outside your 20 square feet. How about do it this way? Two kinds of awareness. Situ- self-awareness, number one. Situational awareness, number two. So observe yourself. Uh-huh. Own you. Own you. Now, that then equips you with the clarity and the energy and the discipline to respond to things outside your 20 square feet in a productive, effective way. So we're not saying don't look outside your 20 square feet. We're saying don't look outside your 20 square feet first and start complaining. Own yourself on the inside, then look outside yourself and be a solution-oriented person. Be someone who delivers value to other people. Be a problem solver, not a complainer. Be a collaborator, not a self-centered person. Be helpful, not hurtful. Be respectful, not hateful. You see, so many people today... And look at it on social media. Social media has become a platform for disrespect. Yeah, It's become a platform for dismissing people that see things differently than I do. It's become a platform for, in an ultimate sense, hate. But what if people just stopped and said, oh, wait a second, wait a second. I'm going to own me and my attitude. Am I coming to this tweet or this Instagram or this, this Facebook post or this email? Am I, am I coming to this or this YouTube video that I saw? Am I coming to it looking to fight and, and, and sit, or am I looking to understand and provide some kind of insightful, helpful response that maybe guides the conversation in a solution orientation? People aren't looking for solutions. They're looking for declaration. No, just stop. Slow down. Whoa, 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 whoa. Own yourself first. Then look outside of you and say, what's going on around me? How can I help? How can I solve? How can I contribute value here? Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. So let me, give you a, let, yeah. let me give you a quick quick little example. Yeah. And this may seem minor, but but it, it, it's, a, it's a way I actually build skill. It's the way I build my R factor capacity. And this is something my son Brian and I started. I, I started doing it, and he started mimicking this, and it's been fantastic. We travel all the time. So we're always in an airport someplace. I've traveled every week for 35 years. So an airport is a great opportunity to practice E plus R equals O and be self-aware and situationally aware and respond in a disciplined way. Because lots of stuff happens when you travel in an airport 
lots of uncomfortable, frustrating things happen. So the mindset I now have through training when I go to the airport is own my 20 square feet, my R's and E for others, how can I help? Now, I'm not going to change. And again, it's minor, but it, but it, but it's big. Mm-hmm. I'm not, my, my attitude is not going to change a canceled flight. My attitude is not going to change a delayed flight. My attitude is not going to change a long line. Here's what my attitude does change. And it changes how I respond to all of those things. And then how I respond to all those things makes some kind of a contribution to the people around me. And I'm in a long line. People are complaining. I turn to them and I say, and I'm in the line for whatever reason. I start asking people about where they're from. Uh, if they've got kids or grandkids, where they went to school, what kind of things they like and dislike. I engage them in conversation that is not oriented towards complaining about the long line or the airline. And all of a sudden, they forget the frustration of being in the line and get caught up in the conversation. And the time that they used to spend complaining in line now is is communicating and interacting with some other people and learning some new things about some new people. Will I ever see them again? Probably not. But for that 20 minutes, we had a great conversation about our family, what we like for vacation, what kind of foods, whatever it would be. And people come back, oh, man, that was great. That, that line went faster than I thought and because I took their mind off of it. Get up to TSA. TSA person's in a naughty mood. I look him straight in his eye and try to find his, his or her name badge, and I call them by name and look them in the face and say, how are you doing today? Thanks for, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you keeping us safe. What do you think those TSA people do when I say that? What do you think happens? Oh. They, they look up, their eyes get bright, and they, hey, thanks, appreciate that. Because one passenger in that line made a difference and just interacted in a positive fashion. That's how I practice this. Own me, and then be situationally aware, and then bring value. Yeah, it, 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 You're exactly right with what you're saying is it's really you practicing. It's really you just practicing, right? So that, yes. you know, those are, those, again, like you said, it's a minor example. But when you, then when you get into situations that are much bigger, have much more um, impact on your life or on, on mm-hmm. your business or whatever, you've already practiced and you understand and intensely you understand how to go through this process. And so then you have the ability to be able to act almost without being, being having to think about it. You just oh, automatically it's, know. It's, yeah, it's a habit now for me. I, this, this, this is now, when I go into an airport, my radar is looking for how can I, have, how can I make a positive difference in any situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's changing your default, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and the way the way we like to describe that is we we actually describe behavior in two ways. We, we put a line in life, and below the line we put default, and above the line we put discipline. Mm-hmm. And default is when you behave with impulse, autopilot, and resistance, and discipline is when you behave with intention, purpose, and skill. And what I've chosen to do, you're going to have habits one way or the other. Your habits are either default habits, which are not good. Or the discipline habits, which are good. You're going to have habits. Habits aren't bad unless they're below the line. And even then, they, they can be bad or they can just be, can be average. I don't want to be average. I want to be intentional, purposeful, skillful in the habits that I have. So the habit that I have in an airport now is a really, really productive habit because I built it on purpose with discipline and intentionality. The, the next thing that you also you talk about is you talk a lot about culture 
and how culture is critical to organizational success. And, you know, I think a lot of us have heard, you know, that culture trumps strategy. Um, but why, why is that so? Why is it that culture trumps strategy and, initi and initiatives as it concerns success? had this conversation at an early morning breakfast with a, a client today, and, and we, were, we were talking specifically about that. Very, very straightforward. In order to execute strategy, you need behavioral discipline, correct? Yeah. yeah. Discipline, discipline action. That's what you need to do to execute strategy. Discipline action comes from the culture. Mm. Or, or I should say this, the attitude and behavior of the people comes from the culture. And if a culture is average, then the attitude and behavior of people will be average. If the if the culture is discipline driven and 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 uh, focused on elite discipline behavior, then that's the kind of behavior the culture is going to produce. the The misnomer is that somehow clarity of strategy produces discipline of action. That doesn't happen. That's not how it works. A great strategy does not usually produce great behavior. It's a great culture that produces great behavior. So I'll, let, let me put it this way. The purpose of culture is to execute the strategy. That's the purpose of culture. Wow. The purpose of culture is not to make people feel good. The purpose of culture is not uh, to, to um, Brian always says, my son, it's not casual jeans Friday or ping pong tables in the lunchroom. Those are great. Have those things. Nothing against them. That's awesome. But the purpose of culture is to generate the behavior necessary to execute the strategy. And, it, and it's funny that, that you hear this term all the time, you know, culture, eat strategy for lunch or breakfast, or, and, and most people, I think, trace that quote back to um, Peter Drucker. I think he's the first one that said something along those lines. And it's always true, but people don't know why. Well, that's what, why is what I just said. The, the job of culture, well, I mean, culture always generates some kind of behavior. Question is, is it the behavior that your strategy calls for? So let me ask you guys a question. What happens if a company has an A-plus strategy, but B-minus behavior? They're, medi they're, they're mediocre. Exactly. So strategy, if every strategy calls for A-plus behavior. But whether you get that behavior or not, that's an issue of culture. Yeah. So it's just not confusing about why culture trumps strategy, because culture's job is behavior. But the problem lies in the fact that people don't understand that that's culture's job. And they think culture is, they falsely believe culture is equated to whatever the core value statement is in the poster on the wall. That's not a culture, that's just a statement. Sure. Culture is what people, I say it this way, culture is what you do. If you do it, it's your culture. If you don't do it, it's not. And most companies have the problem that they stated things in their in their culture poster that they don't actually do. When that happens, culture's working against you. And that's interesting because we're seeing a real life display of of exactly what you're talking about right now playing out with um with Tesla. Just in that they have this excellent strategy and and Elon Musk has put out, you know, this is how exactly how we're gonna do it and all of that. But then the but then if you but then if you if you dig underneath you're seeing that he's he's not listening to his 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 lead engineers he's putting them in bad situations he's making statements and and basically writing checks that it, that his people can't cash and and so we see this great strategy these great ideas and innovative things but there's this culture of um there's this deficient culture that's really feeding into um 
what's going on right now with Tesla. So I love that. That really is a great explanation of how I've had had explain what's going on there. That's 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 excellent. Yeah, I will. I would. I would have to um, beg off on the Tesla thing because I just haven't read enough about it. I saw something passing, you know, social media. Something came along a a banner on my phone or my iPad or something, and I saw that there were some issues. I don't. I don't know, but what you just described—if that—if in fact that's an accurate description of what's going on, yes, that would be a classic example of what we're talking yeah. about. And and here's the thing that that I think what you said uh, about the Tesla situation—that's very instructional. Culture is personal. It's social. It's it's a heart-to-heart activity. Mm-hmm. Documents don't build culture. People do. Yeah. And and it, it my. My general manager or my division VP or my CEO may or may not be great at building the culture. But let's say that, let's say the three of us all work together on a team, and we have a supervisor over our team, and then our supervisor has a district manager over her or him. Do we need our district manager and supervisor to be great leaders for the three of us to have a great culture on our team? No, we don't. Would it be great if our supervisor was an awesome leader? Yes. Would it be great if our DM, our district manager, was awesome at leading our supervisor and our supervisor was awesome leading us? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Do we have to have that to have a great culture? No. It's just the three of us have to be committed to the culture and committed to holding each other accountable to living the culture. So if I don't live the culture and you guys don't hold me accountable, whose fault is that? It's our fault, yeah. It's all of us, right? Yeah. It's my responsibility that I didn't live the culture, and it's your responsibility that you allowed me to get away with it. And if we're like most teams, you guys talk behind my back and say, oh, man, that Tim, he doesn't, he doesn't live the culture. He's no fun to work with. Oh, I wish our supervisor would do a better job of holding him accountable, and all of a sudden our supervisor is not doing his or her job. I'm not living my 20 square feet of the culture, and neither are you guys, and you're blaming me and the sure. supervisor. So the, the, the only way to break out of that doom loop, back to where I go full circle, own your 20 square feet and collaborate with people around you. Don't talk about people, talk to them. Is, you guys say, is, well, let me hold on real quick. So you guys say, okay, all right, this isn't working, so we need to have a conversation. And you sit down, it's uncomfortable, it's hard, but you sit me down, we meet at Tim Hortons or, or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever, and you say, hey, okay. Got to have a conversation. You know, we got these cultural standards, and our observation is our experiences. You're not living them. That meeting yesterday, how you behaved in the meeting yesterday, that's not our culture. And you hold me accountable. You do it. And I'm a typical whatever guy, and I fight back and I defend myself. You guys hold your ground. You don't get mad, but you get firm. You say, well, listen, et cetera, but here's how we see it. And we think you lack awareness. You just know you, you might have intended X, but what you delivered, the experience you delivered was Y. And we're telling you that's what we saw and we saw it in other people and you you disrupted the meeting. And deep inside, I know you're right and I'm defending myself. I'm trying to protect myself. You guys give it a few time, give it a few days and we come back and talk again. Because culture conversations, it's never it takes a lot more than one conversation. And so you come back a few days later, and you're tenacious, and you say, all right, have you thought about what we talked about? So are you guys still talking about that? And you say, yes, we are. You're relentless because you believe in the culture. 
And eventually, what do I do? I either what? I either shift and acknowledge you're right, or I get even more stubborn. And, and the vast majority of people, by the way, under that scenario, will, in fact, change their behavior. The vast majority. The problem is no one holds them accountable. What, so question on that. It, all, it's, it almost sounds like you're saying that culture is created on the grassroots side of things. It's not a top-down thing where they are, you've been dictated what the culture is. It almost sounds like the, the culture is determined by the people on the front lines. Is that kind of what you're saying? Or, or where, uh, so I guess the question is, where is, culture, where, where is culture created at? Yes, it's created at all those places, right? <laughs> So, there, guys, there's no such thing as a culturally neutral attitude or action by anybody. Wow. So back to the scenario. Our supervisor has a huge impact on the culture of our team. True? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Does our behavior have a huge impact on the culture of our team? Yes. yes. So where's culture created? All those places. Wow. So, that, so then on the flip side of that, that means that everybody has the, has the ability to be able to feed into and to be able to propagate um, a strong culture then. So you're not, Correct. so you're not, so what, essentially what you're saying is you're not dependent then on the CEO, you're not dependent on the VPs, you're not dependent on those people because you can create it in your office, in, on your team, the people that you lead or the people that you work with, it can be created there. Which is not going to go a step further. It not can be created there. It is created there. You are the culture. The, 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 here's where we're at today. This is the this is the this is the challenge in, in all organizations. And I see this with a lot of young people who get frustrated that the culture isn't what they were hoping or want in their organization to be, and they they somehow have this false notion that it's all the responsibility of the people above them. No, it starts with you and your 20 square feet. You have to live the culture that you want, and you have to live it in your 20 square feet, and you have to be tenacious. And we say that, here's how we say at our company, outlast the cynics. Don't allow, here's another way to say it. Don't allow frustrations on the outside to diminish your fire on the inside. Yeah. And what I see today is people and this is so toxic, and it's so easy to do this. I, I see people doing things that are inconsistent with the culture, and it's an accurate observation. In fact, that is happening. She's doing this, and he's doing that, and they're doing this, and it's inconsistent with our culture. That's not hard to find in a company. There's lots of culturally inconsistent behaviors in a company. That, that, there's no magic to that. There's no skill involved in that. Of course, there's stuff going on inside a company where people don't live the culture the way they should, unfortunately, but it's true. But if I observe that, what's the first thing I should do if I'm a wise person and I want to build a culture? The first thing I would do is humble myself and say, gee, I wonder if I ever do that kind of stuff. I wonder how I'm doing. Do I ever, do I act like that? Do I talk like that? Is that my mindset, my attitude? And I start with me. And own me. What if in America right now, people stopped criticizing other people on Twitter and own themselves? Yeah. What if in Washington, D.C., our politicians stopped criticizing each other and started owning themselves? What would happen? 
the conversation would change from complaining to solving. Because then our energy is not going into trying to tear down the people around us, but rather own ourselves and go find a solution. I'm a huge believer in this. Don't complain, solve. Virtually every problem today can be solved. Here's the, here's the challenge. The solutions are difficult, really difficult. But I learned long ago, difficult is not the same thing as impossible. Energy should not go into complaining. Energy should go into solving. And the bigger the problem, the more the energy we, we don't have to give away into complaining. Guys, is this making sense? Oh, yeah. This is, yeah. So, Tim, I'm just thinking of, I'm thinking of the person who's listening right now and they're um they're they're in an organization or they're in a culture and they're trying to change it but they're tired what encouragement would you give to them <laughs> i'm laughing because i hear this I, I get this call five five times in a week every week for 30 years i'm tired and and i and on one hand my 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 empathy and my heart goes out to people like that but here's something that we teach at focus three you, 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 you can't get tired. Create your own energy. This is my point. Don't let the fire on the inside, the energy on the inside, be diminished by any frustration on the outside. Culture builders, you have to outlast the cynics. You have to be more tenacious than them. Outlast them. They are, the cynics, the negative people are banking on you getting tired. They, don't, they, out, they outlast you. They outweigh you. Here's what I say. I look, I, I'm, I'm 65 years old, and maybe you can tell from this, I have more energy now than when I was 25. My energy is growing for this. I, I talk to people who are in this tired sort of, I, don't, I look at them and go, you know what? You just have to, you have to learn how to create on your inside. On the, this is the inner work that you have to do. It's to get your mind right stuff in our factor, to create the energy to be relentless. Mm-hmm. Relentlessly positive and persistent. And when and when the negative people, and this has been my experience, when the, when the negative people experience this relentless persistence of solutions and positivity, they will eventually come around or they'll leave. We guys, we've got to shift things around inside our organizations. The cynics, we can't allow the cynics to win. We can't. Got to outlast them. Have you guys ever? Have you guys heard of a Power of Negative Thinking conference? No. Uh-uh. No. How about, how about Power of Positivity conferences? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why? Yep. Why? 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 Why are there positivity conferences and not negativity conferences? Because does it does it take any energy or skill no. to be negative? No. Nope. So everybody's trying to pump up their positivity and optimism, um, and which I get that, of course, and that's part of what we're doing in this podcast right now. But when the person turns to me and says, um, I'm getting tired, I say, well, then you need to get better. We have a phrase, doesn't matter, get better. And I don't say that in a mean way. I just say, no, get more, get more skillful at being optimistic and positive and solution-oriented. And I'll help you. Well, I'll teach you our factor. I'll teach you getting your mind right. We'll teach you how to, uh, how to uh, rediscover, rekindle the fire, find your purpose. But you cannot afford to get tired. Or maybe the answer is this. If you're tired, take a nap, get up, and go again. <laughs> oh, Tim, I feel like I could talk with you for like the next hour, but we want to be respectful of your time as well. And so 
Um, just as we're getting ready to wrap up, um, we have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what's one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right now? A big one for me is quiet time in the morning. I get up early, real early, and I, I, I'm, I'm a man of faith, so I'm a Bible reader. And the first thing I do when I get up is I, I open up the Bible and I read and I pray and I take notes. I actually write a devotional. So that, that, that's a huge ritual in my life that is, it's my reference point, true north, my foundation. I start my day that way every day. Huge, huge impact for me. How do you learn best? I follow the physics of that. We actually teach learning in R6. The sixth R factor, the sixth and final one is, is a build skill. And, and I know through research how it happens. So here's what I do. I study, try to understand the thing that I'm, and then I, then I, I chunk it. I find an element of it. Then I do a rep. Then I get feedback about how I did. Then I make adjustments based on the feedback. Then I go again. Then I repeat it. Study and understand the, the, the skill or the activity. I do a rep. I get feedback, I make adjustments, I go again, and then I repeat it over and over and over again until I get good at the thing. Then I move on to the next thing. So I do it. That, that's awesome. Um, that's all. <laughs> not, it's, not a, it's not a secret. It's not a secret. Um, and I, and, I, and I'll, I'll add this. I use mistakes as feedback. Because mm. when, when I'm doing it, I, I, I make mistakes. I fail. I love failure. I love failure. Failure is my friend because it's feedback. I, yeah, it, that and that's and I'll tell you this: I've been thinking about this a lot more. Is that is such a hard mentality to get into? But the thing is, is that like every every person who's successful in leadership or whatever who you talk to, that's the number one thing they cite for for their success is that they were they were able to use their failures as feedback and able to use their and learn from their from what from, from the mistakes they made. Yeah. yeah, we 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 have a whole we have a whole teaching around that, and the, the number one reason why people feel fear failure is they're self centered, which is a hard thing to conclude. What, the only reason you fear making a mistake is you're you're concerned about the image that you think that you're projecting. You're protecting image. I don't care about my image. I just want to get better at stuff. That's yeah, I love that. If if you could have everybody learn one thing, it could be about leadership. It could be about you know, how to bake a cake better. What's the one thing that you'd have people learn? E plus R equals O. No BCD, no BCD, solve. Adopt ERO as your one, what, 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 uh, say it again, what O do you want, what E do you have, what R do you need? Just period. Get really good at that. Really good at that. ERO will never fail you if you use it. Tim, what are you learning right now? Writing the book, we're writing the R Factor book, and I'm learning how, <laughs> I'm trying to learn how to write the book while we operate the business. <laughs> I mean, the, the, book's, the book's been, uh, the need for it's been around for a long time, and, and my company, particularly Brian, my son, has forced me into the process to say, we've got to do it, mm-hmm. and, and which and he's done a good job of pushing me into it, and, and I'm learning how to write the book while all this other stuff's still going on because I have a really, really packed schedule. 
And, um, and so, and it's happening. It's uh, we had another writing session last night and it's, you know, we're in the, get, finding the rhythm to do that. That's, that's the big learning right now. Yeah. Well, Tim, we appreciate you so much for talking with us and for investing in us and our investing in our audience. If people want to continue to learn from you and um, yeah, what, where's the best place for them to go to do that? Uh, our website is focus3.com. And that's focus the number three dot com. Lots of cool stuff there. Go to our we have a podcast, the Focus Three Podcast, mm-hmm. and all this R Factor stuff and everything's on that. Would really encourage people to do that. And then my Twitter feed is probably the primary way. Some Instagram, but mostly Twitter. Same same address, by the way, at Timothy Kite. And it's K-I-G-H-T at Timothy Kite. Send out daily tweets on this kind of information. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. You bet. Thanks, guys. Caleb, love that conversation with Tim Kite. I feel like I'm pumped right now. Like, I feel good. What's the takeaway you had? My takeaway is, and it may seem pretty obvious, but E plus R equals O. Duh. And how no matter what's happening, whether it's whatever happens to us, we always have control over our response of what happens us and i think the other thing was too is that um you know that just because you don't ignore the stuff outside of your 20 square feet but you take care of your 20 square feet first and then that gives you the authority and the credibility to acknowledge the stuff that is happening outside of your 20 square feet and influence it yep as well love that so if you enjoyed this conversation we have a great episode for you next week Todd, what's, you're not. What's, what's going on next week? You're Caleb? not going to believe what happened. Oh, I'm going to believe it. All of your efforts have paid off. Yes. We are talking with Carrie Newhoff next week. Woo woo! And man, you don't really sound that excited. I didn't want to get too loud, man. I don't want to get crazy up in here. But we talked with Carrie, Carrie about a variety of different things uh, from his book to the challenges that he's facing in leadership, to some of the things that maybe leaders should be paying attention. I'm so, I am really so excited about this. And again, the best way to make sure you don't miss that conversation is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. Let us know what you're continuing to learn about from the podcast. You know, let us know some of your favorite episodes from some of the guests that you would like to see in the future as well. And leave us a rating and write a review. Boom. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Ball. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.